want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Rochelle coming in from Juliet. Since the Grateful Dead supposedly is touring right now, a friend of Ganolin is a friend of mine. I woke up before daylight and all my dry cleaning was delivered by Juliet last night. So we're going to talk about dry cleaning. We're going to talk about funding businesses. We're going to be talking about being an awesome entrepreneur and some of the uh, roller coaster rides associated with that. So Rochelle, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. And um, I can't wait to share all of my dirty laundry secrets with everyone. Awesome. So you're not technically in the halo sector, health, active lifestyle, outdoors. But if you are dry cleaned and you're looking healthy and you're smelling amazing, you're probably going to make a few more friends in the halo sector. (laughs) So we're pulling you under our umbrella. We're going to learn from you. You've done a lot of grassroots things. You've built a brand, high service industry, which the fitness and health and fitness industry is overall. So talk about how you got to where you are today, you know, the rich version. Um, and then we'll talk about building a business. Sure. So I uh, launched my company in 2014 and um, it started off with a very simple concept, you know, laundry. Why can't someone just pick it up, clean it and deliver it? And so that's exactly what I did. I launched the app in 2014, scaled that to our first location in 2017, scaled that to six locations and three brands in 2022. So that's the short version. Got it. And, you, and you've stayed in the city uh, with your new locations? Yes, we are only in New York City. Great. You know, so so the first, you know, you know, point I want to make to entrepreneurs is, you know, we get some people that build a location in New York, maybe build a second one, and then the third, fourth, and fifth, they're like in Miami, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. And the reality is that they had a brand. Uh, they had really good um, feedback and, and reviews that instead of kind of staying, you know, in and around adjacencies or, you know, don't leave the subway line and benefit from that, you know, they started spending time, spending their EBITDA, you know, on travel and putting people up in hotels. So talk strategically about how you view New York City, how it's unique to everything outside of it and how you said, look, you know, this is going to be my sequential path and I'm not looking to prove to someone that, this brand could go in another market until I feel like going into that other market. Exactly. You are right. There's there's a lot of um, strategic thought at work here. And listen, if you can make it here, you could make it anywhere. 
right? Heard that before, New York yes. is definitely the toughest, most difficult market to break into. And as you're breaking into that market and you're successful at it, then by default, you have a brand that can easily scale to other markets. So that's how I view the strategic brand play. But also I'm New Yorker, you know, I've been here for over 20 years. I grew up in New York, New Jersey. I know this market like the back of my hand. So it's it's also, it's my turf, you know. I understand the New York mentality, the New York lifestyle, and New, York, New Yorkers want everything yesterday, right. including their You'll, clean clothes. <laughs> right. You know, one of the interesting things as I was thinking about this podcast over the last month, no, over the last couple of days, uh, is where I prep for there, <laughs> not in the last month. <laughs> I was kind of busy. I was kind of busy. Sorry about that. Um, it's all good. You know, I thought about you coming into this industry versus the people that are already in the industry. You know, they got into this industry probably because it was a way to start up, uh, you know, uh, an independent operator. You know, they were able to maybe put it together at a relatively low cost. They weren't really thinking about how am I solving the frustrations of people? They were thinking about like, I'm in the dry cleaning business and that is like a, a trade that I'm in, just like I could become a plumber, electrician, or, uh, you know, run a convenience store, what, what have you. So when you looked at this industry, I, I'm assuming you didn't say there aren't enough dry cleaners. I need to be in the dry cleaning business, right? <laughs> you said, Hey, they're actually not understanding the customer and what my demands and needs are versus, Hey, there's such big white space. So how did you think about that? You know, as an entrepreneur, when you wanted to get into this? You are absolutely correct. Um, most dry cleaning businesses historically have been family-owned businesses passed down by generation. And so the lens that I took when I came into the industry was, wow, it's highly fragmented. It's highly antiquated in terms of technology, branding, marketing, and PR. And therein lies the opportunity to become category leader and to build a brand that can conquer one industry at a time, one market at a time, let's say New York. Now, when, now over the years, there's been several dry cleaning concepts that have gotten venture capital. Um, really, they were focused more on the, the scalability of the business, I think, and having a centralized cleaning, having like almost like a, um, a Starbucks type of concept where you drop it off, you come pick it up. For some reason, those businesses never made it. Um, there really isn't like a nationwide Juliet or even like a super regional Juliet, if I could use your, your brand as the example, since we're talking about it, why not, right? So sure, sure. What, what, kind, what, what are some of the things that your special sauce, what did you figure out that other people couldn't figure out? Sure. So to your point, yes, there have been other players who have come in VC-backed and they come in with a very smart approach. Let's let's consolidate, right? Let, let's have a central plan, as, as you mentioned, and a pickup and delivery type model. Now, the problem there is that laundry is laundry and dry cleaning is specific in that you're dealing with people's personal garments. Right. And those personal garments could be something very expensive, like an expensive tailor-made custom-made suit. Or it could be something sentimental, something that your mother or grandmother passed down to you. Now, if you don't have that industry knowledge of garment care and the nuances of what it takes to pick up your garment, clean it, and return it to you in one piece, not lost, and it's yours, you didn't get someone else, someone else's clothes, there's a lot of operational steps there 
that I have mastered over these past 10 years. And that is part of my secret sauce, not the whole secret sauce. Got it. But yeah, I mean, part we're not of it. This show's not called <laughs> Give Away Your Secret Sauce. So we're not, not going to spend all the time there. Um, you know, but when you take a look at you know, the type of people that you need to hire, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's, uh, you know, small checklist, like I care, um, I mm. listen, uh, I'm mm. responsible. Um, you know, th- there's probably a differentiator between working for you and working for someone else. You know, so what is, how do you kind of infuse your operational model, your high touch model with people that might not have come from any, you know, curated culinary or I'm thinking like hospitality, thinking about people who would mm-hmm. be great to work for you. Maybe people mm-hmm. have like a lot of discipline, maybe have like, I've been told like, think quickly on your feet and here's like, ju- you know, teach them judgment mm-hmm. and teach mm-hmm. them care. Yes. So exactly. how, how does that work? For you. you know, you are, you know, it, it is a challenge. It's the largest, it's the most difficult challenge, I think, for most companies is how do you create a culture for your workforce and how do you hire and train the right type of people? I have a very consumer centric approach to it. And believe it or not, I lead with in- integrity or I try to lead with integrity mm-hmm. and I try to teach my team to be compassionate. So what does it mean to be compassionate? Imagine it's your dress, it's your suit, you're going to that interview, you're going on that date, you need this stain removed, you, you need this order back at this time. So there's that's where the, the care, we take care to the next level and we teach compassion, but then when it comes to integrity and judgment, that's, you know, there's a difference between this brand and that brand. So inherently you have to love fashion or have a very basic understanding of fashion. So I was at um, I was at a gas station the other day, and there was someone in front of me wearing a Top Golf jacket, and mm-hmm. I could tell that he was a manager, um, or he, he was part of the 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 employee team at a new location, which was across the street. And as I was chatting him up, you know, I'm like, you know, were you involved? He's like, yeah, I opened up the the new Top Golf uh, across the street. I'm like, well, what do you do there? And I thought he was going to say he's the manager or he's assistant manager. And you know what he said? He says. I'm on the culinary team. And I'm thinking like somebody internally thought that we're not hiring for a kitchen job, right? We're not hiring for a chef, right? We're hiring for the culinary team. And I feel like words matter and titles Mm -hmm. are really important to people. And that guy told Mm -hmm. me with pride, you know, that I'm on the culinary team. And I know what that means, you know, in a place like a Top Golf. It's not like, you know, a Michelin restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you're kind of going through and saying like, I'm not what dry, I'm not what you think of dry cleaning, right? I'm going to change how you think about me as a consumer. I'm also going to try and change how you as an employee think about what you're doing. Um, Mm. So how are some of the things that you've done, whether it's how you coach people up, whether, you know, your retention rate is really high, whether people are thirsty to learn because in the fitness industry, I feel like, or just in the healer sector in general, sometimes people aren't given the tools or like the, 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 you know, weapons to succeed. One of them is their title and how they're treated. So maybe mm-hmm. you could give us a little insight into how you've thought about that in order to recruit the best people. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, um, vernacular does matter. Words do matter. And so when we are talking about the people we serve or the 
the people we service, we call them clients. And we don't call it customer service. We call it client relations because we have a relationship with all of our clients. So my people who do basically customer service, client relations is what they're called. Now, going back to how do you get them to care? You know, this is a very labor intensive industry and um, it's, it's a difficult job. So you got to have someone who's going to be willing to put in the work. And that's a very specific type of pool of people you're looking at. And the way that I inspire them is I let them know that they are actually a part of something bigger because at the end of the day, this is self-funded. This is a small business. I am also an immigrant. Many of my workers are immigrants. You know, we all come here with the American dreams to sort of change our social situation and lift ourselves out of whatever situation we're trying to lift ourselves out of. And Juliet is a conduit. So they see their job, not just, yes, it pays the bills, but they see the growth in the company and they see that they're contributing to that growth. And they also understand because we're so small, they do matter, right? So if you're five minutes late or if you decide to not come in or if you take a sick day and you don't communicate with us, it's such a small, tight-knit team that everyone is affected. And that's the culture that I lead with. That's the culture that I try to build every day with my team. And that's what keeps them motivated to come back. People stay not because of salaries and because of the jobs. They stay because of the culture. Got and it. they feel valued. That's awesome. Well, congrats on building that. You know, everybody who's listening here knows that culture is not built overnight. And it's not built in a three-ring binder. So um, yeah. every... You know, we, we'll get you a copy of our book, but we wrote a book called Time to Win Again. And one of them is like, treat your employees like professional athletes. And yeah. when you do that, you know, they, they typically respond. Um, let me do. switch gears. Uh, let me switch mm. gears here. You ready? Here we go. Mm. Switch. Okay. Got it. Well, take some water <laughs> if you want. Hydrate. Awesome. <laughs> Look, on, we're not we're on video. Stick shifts. Are we going into yeah. stick shift or overdrive? We're going what, into what self- are we going to We're going to go into self-autonomous <laughs> drinking. It's just oh, going to okay. like be like, uh, you know, like a catheter that gets set up right. Anyway. Oh, okay. boy. Here's what I want to switch, switch to. I want to switch to okay. the use of technology or maybe leave me alone. And when I say that is I go to SoulCycle. Everyone here on this audience knows I love going to SoulCycle. I'm not sitting there with an Apple Watch and I don't want to know what my metrics are because I, I want to know how I feel. Um, mm. If I take a look at buying a... Uh, higher dose mat on um, online and I get it sent to my house. The, right when I get it, I have a tracking. Uh, you know, I know where it is exactly. Right? I know it's in this warehouse, mm-hmm. going to this warehouse, going to this UPS center, this UPS center, alpha delivery. You know, I would assume in the, the dry cleaning business, you could put an RFID tracker and somebody could basically track their entire journey through your operation, what truck it's on, where it's getting laundered, you know, what rack it's on. And then at some point you might be able to say, look, this is my business, right? You don't need to know, like, this is what I do for you. You don't really need to be tracking my tracker um, because I have a brand and I have an authority that I'm doing this on your behalf. And it's kind of none of your business what my supply chain looks like on how to get you what you want. So as you look at technology and things like, yeah, that might be really interesting to provide to a member yet or, or a client. Like that's not, I don't want to inundate them with like, Where's my dress? Like, just know that I, I'm delivering it to you at this time. So talk about the benefits or the detriments of, like, over-technologizing, mm-hmm, uh, like, mm-hmm. a relationship. 
Yeah, sure. So you are correct. Um, all of our orders are GPS tracked and ETA tracked, and our clients do have access to that in real time. That's as far as the transparency goes for them. Internally with my team, we can track and see everything, and that's how we manage internal operations. But that is not information we have to share with a client, nor do they even care. They just want it back tomorrow, cleaned, and that's it. <laughs> Got it. So when you think about, you know, you're basically like reinventing the relationship that someone has with their dry cleaner, which basically, you know, I lived on 15th Street, my dry cleaner was on 16th Street, you know, and <clears throat> they delivered to the front desk of the building in Zeckendorf that I lived in. When you think about creating a brand, right? What are some of the things that you now have the authority to do or say that other people in the dry cleaning industry that you compete against would be like, you, you can't tell me about fashion. What do you know about fashion? Where you could say, hey, I can tell you about that. Or I can tell you like what to wear at these events because I've lived this lifestyle or I live it and therefore I can be your advisor on it versus someone else who's like, it's a pickup drop-off thing. It's not, mm -hmm. I'm not going mm -hmm. to you as like an authority on anything. Right, no. So I can say in full confidence, Juliet is the sexiest brand. Got it, That's full it. stop. You want to yeah, end now, or you want to keep going? Yeah, we, we are the the sex. We are the sexiest brand. So that that's one thing that no one else in the industry can compete with us on. Now, what makes us sexy? Well, we're a New York brand, and New York, as I mentioned, is a very specific demographic. And not only do we service every New Yorker, we service these high-performing New Yorkers who work hard and play harder, and they need to look good while they do it. That means they're sending in nice things. And they are living that lifestyle. So when I am building the brand or when I'm telling my marketing story or storytelling to potential clients, I'm not saying, hey, I'm the best dry cleaner. I'm saying I had to steam press Priyanka Chopra's dress before she got on the plane because she had to go on this photo shoot, you know, and this is a lifestyle that not only the celebrities have, but a lot of New Yorkers have because they're catching planes. They need me to turn things around quickly. And sometimes I'm not picking up and and delivering to their home. I'm picking up and delivering. They have a messenger. I got to meet them at the airport. We, we got to do this. And that lifestyle is a very New York lifestyle. And that is our brand. It's understanding the New Yorkers lifestyle. That's something that no one else can compete with us on. And that's what makes us sexy. <laughs> awesome. I see the sexy coming out, you know, in the business model and in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, my, my question, my follow-up question to that is, how do you then turn basically your, you know, on-demand concierge service, this woman named Juliet, is very sexy. Um, how, do you turn her, <laughs> how do you turn her from, hey, this is how much it costs per garment to like, look, here's how much it just costs. That, that is how it works. So um, most of our clients don't ask. I, I think they go to our website. They have a sense. We don't take a, an order without taking their credit card first. And a lot of it is, is trust. And if they have a question about the price of something, we have that conversation. But the only time price actually comes up is for high ticket garments, something that's going. I'll give you an example. We needed to deconstruct a gown before we returned it to the client because it was very intricate. We needed to clean 
bits and pieces of it first, stitch it back together, and then return it to her. So something like that, we're going to have a conversation about price first. Everyone else who's working, just working, golfing, going to meetings, they're sending us their suits, their dresses, their blouses. We don't have to have a conversation on price. Got it. So basically you have a price list, but it's not, people aren't making decisions based on it, nor are they scrutinizing it because they know, you know, it's not X dollars per suit. It's basically the whole experience, the whole service, the whole support. Basically you're like a support. The whole thing. Yeah. Gotcha. The whole thing. So, so talk about, you've got six locations now. You know, the fact that you didn't leave New York City, I think, is a, is a, is a, is a great strategic move um, for various reasons of building the brand and, and moving it, you know, further down the field, if you will. Or, you know, if we want to use a soccer reference, you know, basically goal kicking our way past half and we're keeping it within the zone. Um, from a standpoint of seeking investors, investors seeking you out, what's that experience been like? Do you kind of, you know, Obviously, during COVID, there are a lot of irrational investors that close businesses. Um, sometimes there aren't great partnerships. So it might have been best that you were on your own so you could lead and just go with your gut and not have anyone to answer to. Um, so how's that experience been um, or some of the you know frustrations related to it? Because 99 out of 100 people in anything, I do say no. <laughs> you know, that experience was a wonderful learning lesson. And I say that because it was filled with surprises. It was filled with um, decisions and outcomes that I was not expecting nor that I wanted, but it forced me to look at other ways to make money. It forced me to think outside of the box when I launched the company in 2014 and I was immediately successful, cash flow positive, prototype bill, let, let's go gung-ho, let's go raise. And I didn't raise that money in 2014 and 2015 and 2016. And I was trying to work on this business. It was incredibly difficult. And I could not split my time between actively fundraising and trying to build this business. Sure. So the fundraising experience was extremely difficult and I had to put that on the back burner and focus on building the business and getting it to profitability as quickly as possible. And that's how I built and scaled and self-funded and, you know, bootstrapped and, and then COVID came and that was oh, another yeah. wonderful learning awesome. experience <laughs> that completely kicked my butt. I think it kicked everyone's butt, but, um, again, you know, it was very similar to the early days of trying to fundraise and trying to deal with something. You don't know what you're dealing with. You have limited resources. Any wrong decision can plunge you into bankruptcy, but when COVID came, because I had dealt with that initial experience of fundraising, I was actually better prepared and I came out of COVID even stronger. So our numbers last year are 75 where we completely built, built everything back up. That's awesome. So, you know, last question related to that, as being an entrepreneur and making your own decisions, you know, a lot of people come in and say, I'm at seven locations. I want to be at 10. Then I want to go to 20 and this and that, you know, given how you define your own success or, you know, I'm not going to open up a seventh location or an eighth location. One, unless I feel like it, right? One, like I want to do it. Two, there has to be like a market opportunity that would reward me 
for taking my eye off my core business and, and expanding it further. Um, so how do you think about what you want to be or are you who you want to be right now? I always want to be better. So okay. that's the first thing. The second thing is, do I want a seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth location? And I always will focus on building the business and creating value. And if that means opening up more businesses or acquiring more businesses so that we can become an even more valuable company, then that is what I'm working on. And I'm not opposed to, I'm not opposed to it. I think at the end of the day, we're trying to be number one in New York City and beyond. And so that's what I'm working on. Awesome. All right. We'll have all your information up here. Thanks for coming and spreading your wisdom and insights on uh, ELO Talks. I think there's a lot of similarities between what you're doing in your category and basically like changing the narrative and actually building a brand that people sometimes forget about what they're trying to do and where they're trying to get to in the mind of a member or the mind of a client. So appreciate you coming on and uh, continued success. And we'll have you back basically whenever we get all of you. No milestones <laughs> Thank you so much, No milestones required. No milestones required. IPO. <laughs> IPO. There you go. Good stuff. All right. Thanks. Thank you.